Oh, you've got Come a here. already. It's all yours. I love you, you big sook. <laughs> Every time I come here, he cries. <clears throat> I love it. It's usually me, so we're in good company. We understand each other. This is good. All right. Well, funny story. Um, I've just come off like 10 days in Queensland. Sucks to be in Ballarat. <laughs> No, it doesn't really. It's good to be with you because you know what? All of your love is just so warm and um, it's good. I'm just having a bit of crackle with my microphone because my head's that small, literally, that I have to wear kids' stack hats. So whenever I wear like these kinds of mics, I always have to do a bit of adjustments. That's funny. So yeah, it came off like incredible time in Queensland um, speaking and sharing messages and uh, I don't know if anyone else here does any kind of preaching, but, you know, sometimes you can have a message way in advance and God gives you a download and it's just beautiful, it's nice and easy. I have had times where I've walked up on the platform without a message until I've stood up. And I came really close because the message just has not been flowing. And I'm like, do you want me to repeat what I preached last week? I don't really like repeating stuff where I can help it. And um, sort of half got a message yesterday and then last night I thought I'll just you know I'm going to sit with God and finish it off and it just wasn't coming so I went to bed woke up first thing this morning and prayed Um, I had an hour to go before I had to leave and the message dropped and what was really cool about that is even when we were just praying actually on the way here I had a friend call me um, to say, hey, just wanted to let you know I've been praying for you in your sermon and that the right thing would come and if there was anything that wasn't right that, you know, the new would drop in. And I'm like, well, funny, because that's exactly what's happened. And, uh, and then when we get here and we're praying together and um, somebody just prayed that they had a vision of, of, of God uh, holding, you know, a sheep, a shearer holding a sheep and there was that struggle before the shearer had to do what he needed to do. And, you know, that ties so well in with the message that we've got today. And so, yeah, what, a, what an honour it is to be here. We, Mark and I feel like it's family. We've even had some chats about, hey, maybe once a month we need to just come and worship up here and, or down here or in the cold, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, either way, we, we know to put the thermals on. So, Amen. So I want to just um, help you to feel good and get free today. So I'd like you all to just, wherever you are, close your eyes. Okay, I have something I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes, keep them closed, no peeking. I just want you to sit quietly for a minute. And I want you to think about the worst thing you've ever done in your life. All right, now I want you to just pay attention to the feelings that you felt around that. And I'm guessing some of those things might be guilt or shame, maybe grief, even anger, regret or hopelessness, maybe even a combination. And I promise you this will lead to feeling good. All right, open your eyes. Okay, I want you just to remember that for a moment. How many of you felt some kind of guilt or shame? Yeah, most of you. I want to make an important delineation between guilt and shame. 
because it's really, really important. Shame personalises what we've done and makes us bad. Does that make sense? Whereas guilt is a little bit different. Guilt says what we did was bad or wrong. So shame says you're a bad person, no one would ever forgive you, you're a scumbag. Whereas guilt says what you did was damaging or hurtful or disgraceful, but it's what you did, it's not who you really are. You need to own it and make it right. Shame, on the other hand, is something that is soul-destroying. It takes away any glimpse of hope or restoration or healing. It's the enemy that deals in shame. It's Jesus that deals in guilt because it leads to conviction, which leads to healing and freedom. You know, I met a guy um, a few years back called Andy. And um, Andy was a homeless man in Las Vegas. Have I shared this story before? I hope not, because it's one of my favourite stories and it fits so well with today's message. So Andy um, and I met when I was filming a documentary series in Las Vegas. If anyone here has been to Las Vegas, you know how crazy it is. Anyone been there? Like, literally, you fly in to Las Vegas, you get off the aeroplane, and you know, usually you walk down the aerobridge and you come into the airport and there's, like, seats, like, where everyone's waiting to board the flight. When you get off the aerobridge in Las Vegas, there's seats, but there's slot machines. I kid you not. It's like walking into the pokies. And then you go down to collect your bag and it is a massive room. Like it would be, I reckon, easily probably, oh man, maybe 50 times the size of this church. Like it's huge. And all around the baggage carousels are just shows and strip teasers and all sorts of things to keep you entertained. And you walk out onto the streets of Las Vegas and Las Vegas Strip and there's beautiful buildings and lots of glitz and glamour and activity and it looks amazing. But then there's also this undercurrent of people with gambling addictions and drug addictions and a homeless population. And so this particular day we'd been filming and there were these escalators that go up and we were right near a casino that's very famous called Caesar's Palace. It's in a lot of Hollywood movies and stuff. And so I'm just there, we've finished filming, the crew's there, we've got all of our gear and they said, hey Danny, we've just got to get some cutaway shots, we'll be within eye shot, um, but can you just look after the bags? So I'm like, yeah, cool. So there was this retaining wall just outside of the casino, so I sit down, I'm just minding my own business, it's a beautiful day, sitting in the sun. And just to my left, I catch a glimpse of a homeless man. And it was a real contrast because everything else looked so glitzy and glamoury and amazing. And um, just, you know, looked the other way, checked out where the crew were at. I looked back and here's this homeless man again, but now he's making a beeline for me and he literally comes and plonks right beside me and says, what you doing? And I said, oh, I'm... Um, filming a documentary series, what are you doing? And I'm thinking, oh, man, that sounds so dumb. Like, it's the truth. But it, and then I'm like, and I've just asked him what he's doing and clearly he's homeless. But his response was this. Oh, I'm just a bum. I'm just a bum. I'm just a homeless person. I'm a nobody. His whole identity and what he was up to was 
down to I'm just a bum. I was like, man, that's harsh. So I introduced myself and I shook his hand and I said, hey, I'm Danny, what's your name? And he said, my name's Andy. I said, hi, Andy. And I said, you know, how did you end up here? And he said, oh, I um, was a Vietnam vet and I went off the rails and got into drugs and I had a daughter and a, a wife, but um, I killed some people and I had to get out of the state, so I ended up on the streets of Vegas. And you can imagine that, um, this is going back about 10 years ago now, but he wasn't a young man being a Vietnam vet. And um, I said, man, I said, that must be tough. I said, do you, do you get lonely? And he said, yeah, I get lonely. And I said, how long's it been since you've had a hug? And he said, man, I can't even remember, you know, probably 20 years. And I just turned around and I just hugged him and I held him. And I told him all about Jesus who loves him and I just sat and talked with him. And he said, you know, I'll tell you the one good thing I did in my life. And I thought, you are kidding me. Your identity is I'm just a bum and you can think of one good thing you've done in your whole life. And he said, back in Vietnam, he said, I was walking through this... Um, village with my platoon and my superior officer told me to go into this particular hut and just to shoot whoever was inside. No reason but to just kill them. So he goes into this hut and there's a little girl and she starts screaming and he grabs her under one hand and puts his hand over her mouth, tells her to shut the up, puts two bullet holes through the floor, tells her again to be quiet and he walks out and leaves. And the superior officer didn't go in and check and the platoon walked on. And he said, see that, those stairs over there? And he was pointing to the escalators where we just filmed. And I said, yeah. And he said, I was up there one day a few years ago just minding my own business and this lady walks past and then she comes back to me and she said, why didn't you kill me? And he said, what, you don't know me, I'm just a bum. And she goes, no, I know you, why didn't you kill me? And she said, you, he said, you don't, you don't know me. And she, he said, oh, I know you. And she grabbed his hand and she said, I know that hand. And in between his thumb and his forefinger was a little tattoo of a star that she recognised just walking past. And she said, why didn't you kill me? And it was the little girl that he's refused to shoot in Vietnam all those years ago. And God had them meet, incidentally, in Las Vegas years later for her to get the answer that she needed and for him to see the one good thing that he believes he's done in his life. You couldn't make that stuff up, right? That's the kind of God that we serve, that no matter our guilt or shame or whatever we've done, the lengths that he will go to for us to know that we are loved and for him to even recognise that. And so I sat with Andy and I gave him some details of a friend of mine who worked with um, addicts and all of that kind of stuff and I gave him details so that he could potentially take that next step off the street if that's something that he felt that he wanted to do but the crew was still a few minutes away and 
So I just wanted to keep connecting with Andy and I'm thinking, man, what can I talk about that, you know, he would get? And I pull my smartphone out and he's asking me all about it because, of course, he didn't have one. And, and I said, oh, you know, it's got lots of music on it. And I, I don't know, but um, I love 50s to 70s music, right? It's just my vintage. I should have been born 20 or 30 years earlier. And so I'm flicking through my list thinking, oh, what would he know? What would he love? And I said, oh, hey, Andy. And he goes, yeah. And I said, do you like Credence? And he goes, I love Credence. So here I am in the middle of Las Vegas, sitting on a retaining wall out the front of Caesar's Palace with a homeless guy called Andy singing, do, 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 looking out my back door. And we're singing songs and having a good time and people are walking past just going, what is this? But smiling, like people lit up, Andy lit up. And for the first time in 20 years, he had a hug and he, he was reminded that Jesus loved him and that this wasn't all that God had for him. And the crew came back and, um, you know, it was time to say goodbye and, and he never asked for one thing the whole time we were there. But we, we gave him some water and stuff and I just turned to him and I said, Andy, I said, I'll never forget you. And he said, thank you, that way I'll never die. And we went our separate ways and quite often, I don't know if he's alive or dead, I don't know if he came to Jesus, I won't know that until heaven, but I pray for him, especially in the winter because it's the middle of the desert over there. And you know what was really funny? the way the enemy swept in straight away to attack me for doing that. One of the crew said, oh, Danny, yeah, good on you. You're a real Mother Teresa. Man, if I had a chair and I wasn't a Christian, I would have smacked him over the head. <laughs> Let's just be, I'm just being real, right? I was so mad because I thought, don't you dare, like... You know, this is not about us feeling good about ourselves for helping someone who's homeless. This is actually about just really taking the time to give a rip and to love somebody and to give them an opportunity to step up and out of, of their struggle and their, the way that they're stuck and their pain, right? And they were all making comments about how much he stank. And I'm like, I did not smell a thing. Literally did not smell anything. Now, granted, I have sinus issues and I often don't smell things, but this was, like, legit. I think God just took that ability for me to smell him at all. And when I got home and I remember telling Mum this story and she went off, she's going, Danny, you can't do that. He could have stabbed you or anything. And I thought, yeah, like, he probably could have, but he didn't because <laughs> God was there, right? And it's what Andy needed in the moment. And I tell you what, it's what I needed too. Because it started off feeling orkies, you know, like this is, this is weird and, uh, you know, it, but it wasn't. And now I've just come off, you know, a big trip to Brisbane where we went to six homeless shelters and we shared testimony and we fed, um, fed the homeless and some of them came to church and, you know, just loved on people and it's not awkward. And, you know, God needs to do that stuff with us and we need to not shame ourselves about that stuff either because we're all having a growth experience. You know, how often do we hold ourselves in shame? Not just others, ourselves. You know, and that's where we get stuck. You know, last night I was having a conversation with somebody about a situation 
um, from the past that's kind of just been resolving and um, I'd come a long way in that situation and, um, you know, there was a lot of hurt over it. There was a lot of um, injustice and, you know, all sorts of things that went on. And I'd done a really good job of letting all of that go and moving on, um, I'd thought. But it quickly got to the point of crossing the line talking with someone else who'd also been hurt in that situation from not just, you know, being open and realistic about the injustice that had been done, but it crossed the line into personalising things and some name-calling and mucking around. And, um, you know, afterwards I went to bed and, you know, God had to really give me a check in the spirit about that and to repent about it. You know, I don't know anyone, oh, I know I don't, I don't get through half a day without thinking the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing, you know. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Break one, you break them all with the commandments, right? You can catch up with mum afterwards if you'd like all the dirt on my life and all the things I've done wrong and how I lose my temper sometimes and, you know. And you know what? It wouldn't matter to me. And do you know why? Because God's covered it. Where we get into trouble is where we keep stuff in the dark. You know, that's where it comes. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. Um, I haven't brought my preaching Bible because I've just recently got glasses and I can't read it anymore. I need to go to Kuro and get a new one. So we're stuck with paper today, but it's holy paper because it's got the Word of God on it, right? Okay, Luke chapter 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Some people were confident of their own righteousness and they looked down on everyone else. So Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He's feeling pretty good about himself, right? Oh, how do we fall into that, right? Oh, at least I don't do that. Oh, you wouldn't catch me doing. Come off it. Right now, we all think stuff. We all do stuff. We are no better than everyone else, but it continues. But the tax collector himself stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He was ashamed and he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He wasn't covering anything up. He knew what he was guilty of. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Because you know what? As broken human beings, and Christian or not, we are all broken human beings. We're all hypocrites because we all know better, right? There are no excuses. Now, I'm going to say something to you. I want you to bear with me. I'm going to say something to you now that at first is going to sound controversial. Are you ready? Sin is not the biggest issue that keeps us out of heaven. 
Let me say that again. Sin is not the biggest issue that will keep us out of heaven. We are. And the reason is because Jesus already paid the penalty for our sin when he died on the cross. Sin has actually been dealt with. What will keep us out of heaven is our refusal to admit sin, to repent of it, to turn from it and start again. And you know what? Sometimes God has to take us round the mountain a million times. Remember that old song? She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. Yeehaw. Well, we're not yeehawing round the mountain, right? We are lamenting around the mountain. We are struggling around the mountain. Sin never feels good for very long. Sometimes it feels good, doesn't it? When you're angry with someone to just get it all out and spew it all out and you know, man, that's something I have to work on all the time. I'm getting better at it. But man, you know, it is hard. When we're addicted to something, it's tough. But sometimes we choose to stay stuck in it. Sometimes it's easier to be angry. But I tell you what... Is that a price you want to pay for yourself and those around you? And you know, that's the difference, isn't it, between these two men that we just heard about. One owned his stuff and the other made excuses. And that's really what it comes down to. And you know, our, our world hates the word sin It hates the word repentance. It's almost offended. You know, we get so offended when someone uses those terms. You know, we use it even like it's, I don't know, it's almost like it's a cuss word to say that in this day and age or that it's irrelevant. And the reason that it becomes so offensive to us to use the word sin and the word repentance is because, unfortunately, even the church and us as individuals, we've used it in a context that puts shame on people or that attaches shame to us. And we don't want to feel shame-filled. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want to feel all of those things. We don't want to feel the feels. Nobody likes to feel despised and rejected and shame-filled. But the truth is that when we truly understand the meaning of sin and the meaning of repentance, they're actually the two words that set us free. They're actually words of freedom. I'm going to just break it down a little bit today so that the next time you hear the word sin and the next time you hear the word repentance, that it actually switches that context for you and brings freedom and not something that makes you feel stuck. So sin actually means to do what you know isn't right. Okay, there's a Bible verse that spells it out really clearly. James chapter 4 verse 17. The Bible puts it this way. If anyone knows what is right and does it, do it. For them it is sin. Okay, Christian or not, as human beings, 
we get an innate sense of what's right and wrong. And I'm not talking about things that at the time we don't know is wrong, right? What you, you don't know what you know, don't know, right? When you know better, do better. All of that kind of stuff. In times of ignorance, God winked. God doesn't hold us accountable for what we don't know. He looks at the heart and what we do know. But we get lost in it. We get lost in sin. We get lost in grief and anxiety and depression and bitterness and low self-worth and trauma. And Jesus never lied to us about life being easy. He said to us, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. You know, my little brother, how old would he have been, Mum? About seven, ten? Yeah, ten. Um, he'd gone off to camp and we were living in Benalla at the time and, and so it was off in, I think, like the Strathbogie Ranges or something. They'd gone off to camp and it was getting near dark and then Mum gets a phone call to say that my brother had actually been missing in the bush for a number of hours and they still couldn't find him, he and a friend. And so we take this frantic drive up to the Strathbogie Ranges and, um, you know, Mum's in a bit of a panic and, of course, I'm feeling very nervous too and are they going to find him? And, you know, they're talking about, you know, getting a rescue team and helicopters in to find them because, of course, it's starting to get dark and it's very, very cold... I mean, as somebody who, you know, has a loved one that's lost in that kind of a context, you've got, has something happened to them? Are they still alive? Are they going to make it? Are they scared? Will I ever see them again? You imagine 20 million different things that could have gone wrong and you fear them being lost forever, Right? Or the worst, that they're dead, you know, that you will never see them again. All the things you'll never get to tell them. And spiritually, that's the same for us when we love someone who's lost. And what if it's us? What if we're the ones that are lost? Now, luckily, just as we got there, my brother and his friend were found. They'd wandered off near a river or something and they actually weren't that far from the campsite but they just stayed where they were because they were scared. But I know with my brother, he'll now, he'll stick to trails and stuff. He doesn't, he might go walking in the Otways but he doesn't go off the trail, right? Because he doesn't want to get back into the situation that he'd been in before where he was lost. And sin's the same. Trauma's the same. We don't want to go back into the same spot that we've just been yanked out of. We don't want to get lost again. And so we have to be careful that we don't wander back into the wilderness. So what about the other cuss word, repentance? You know, we have to be um, really open with this. Repentance is actually just another way of saying pivot. Pivot. What do you think of when you hear the word pivot? Does anyone think of something? Sorry? Spreadsheets? 
Oh. Okay, <laughs> that's random. Turn around. So has anyone ever seen the show Friends? And when Ross, yeah, Pivot, trying to get the couch up the stairs, right? Pivot! Pivot! And they get this couch stuck. So funny, right? So I, and I think of that always, because who doesn't want to remember Friends, right? But what about basketball? You know, you're dribbling the ball, whatever, you catch it. But then you can't maybe even go anywhere. Netball, same deal. You've got to keep one foot grounded and you can only move one foot, right? And when you're stuck in that position and you can't go any further, you can't go forward because the enemy's right in front of you, right? Blocking your way. It's dangerous. It's not safe to go that route. But if you pivot, there's a clear way for the ball to go to someone else on your team who can make the goal. And that's what the family of God is like. And that's what repentance is. It's a pivot. Can you just mute my mic, Steve, for a second? Because I'm going to cough and I don't need it to blow everyone's brains out. Thank you. Guys, just had some spit go down the wrong hole. <laughs> Sorry, too much information. Let's just pivot. <laughs> All right. So, you know, the whole thing with shame. Sorry, Andrew's lost it. <laughs> you better watch it. You'll have the same thing happen. Here we go. You know, and I just, I love the fact that God gives us endless pivots, right? We serve a God who loves us at our darkest. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of God that we serve. And I, I can't ever go past the example of the woman caught in adultery. So the woman caught in adultery is in a really bad place. And you know, we may not be able to relate to being caught in adultery. That might not be our sin. But, you know, you were remembering a sin before. So think of yourself as the woman caught in adultery on the dirt with a bunch of people around you about to stone you for that thing that you did. Okay, so here's this woman caught in adultery probably in scorching heat, probably being spat on and screamed at and having dirt kicked in her face. She's absolutely petrified because she knows at any moment she's going to be in excruciating pain when grown men throw rocks at her to the point of death. Can you imagine the fear? The injustice of it... Even though by law she was caught in adultery, she could be stoned to death, was the fact that she didn't end up as a woman in adultery without somebody committing adultery with her who was a man. She didn't end up being a woman that slept around 
because she was without damage and trauma. None of us act out in sin or addiction or whatever that all looks like without there being some level of pain underneath it, which is why we need grace and it's why God has so much grace for us because he came to this planet as a human being and was tested in all points as we were. And so I love what it says in that verse with this woman caught in adultery, petrified, about to be pummeled to death. And Jesus, if you read the Gospels, is on his knee and he's writing in the sand. And some theologians say that he was potentially writing the sins of all the people that had the stones that were about to stone her. And just before they're about to cast their stones, Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And each of them stop and they drop their stones and they walk away. Can you imagine how it felt for her at that moment, not even daring to look up and just hearing the stones drop on the ground and hearing the footsteps walk away and then have Jesus lift her chin, look her in the eye and say... Your sins are forgiven, you go and sin no more. Now, he was the only one in that whole situation that was without sin and had the right to stone her, and he didn't. And he didn't condone her sin. He didn't say, it's okay to sin, off you go. He said, go and sin no more. So he didn't condone it, but he didn't condemn her either. And she followed him the rest of the days of her life. So when we're dealing with ourselves and guilt and sin and shame and we're dealing with others, remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than the 99 who did not wander off. And in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Amen.